want to welcome you guys to church today. So glad that you're with us. And um, I know a number of family, including my family, is traveling right now. So for those of you guys who are in different places and you're watching online, and also to our church families in Arizona and Alaska who watch our services. And if you're just, just found us somehow, we're so grateful that you're spending this time with us. Um, I feel like the stirring of my heart that happened last night from First Friday is carrying over to now because I'm like very emotional right now. <laughs> I don't know what it is, man. Like the songs were just so beautiful and I, what Andy shared about the glass, it's like so perfect actually how it connects with today's message and I'm gonna have to steal that a little bit today. Um, and I'm just so grateful to be here, man. Um, maybe it's because my family's gone. Maybe that's why I'm emotional. I don't know. <laughs> but we are at the very end of our series. It's called Prodigal. And for the last four weeks, we've been having a deep dive into the story of the prodigal son, which is like a really familiar story if you grew up in church. If you haven't and this is new for you, that's awesome. I feel like you're getting a, an experience that many of us don't ever get to have. Um, but we've been really looking into what's the, 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 the prodigal son really about? Because it's not just a story to make you feel good, and it's not just a story to make you feel better if you made some mistakes and Jesus loves you, and that's all true and he forgives you, but it is far deeper than that. And, and we've been going over it for the last few weeks, and we're going to conclude the series today. Um, so the main point of the prodigal son is that the way of both brothers leads to emptiness, that there are two brothers represented, or there are two brothers in the story that represent two ways of life. Um, and one is about self-discovery, do whatever you want to do, live your truth, live your life, follow your heart, that whole thing that a lot of us subscribe to these days. And he's saying that way of life of the younger brother leads to emptiness. But then on the flip side, there's the older brother who represents a life of what we call moral conformity. Do the right thing, do the good thing, be obedient, you do all the right things, God is going to bless you and then you're going to be happy. But we've also discovered that that version of the Christian American dream, where if I just study hard and do the right thing and, and I have a good job with, I make money and I go to church and I have a family, then I'll be happy. Like that too leads to emptiness. And the reason why is because at the end of the day, both ways of life, both brothers are really the same. They both have the same heart and the same mind. And they're both rooted in the most basic sense of what sin is, is when you replace God with yourself. Both ways of life are about not what God wants, but what, what I want. It's not really about what the Father thinks is right for me, and it's not really about what the Father knows is best for me. It's I can determine what I, I need. I can determine what is best for me. And so I'm gonna replace you, God, from the throne of my life. I'm gonna put myself there because I know better and that's the root of sin. It's not about behavior or actions or, or disobedience so much. It's about that heart where you replace God with yourself and then you seek to control him and you seek to be in charge. And so a life, a way of life rooted in that, founded on that, no wonder that will lead to emptiness and a sense of lostness in life. And then last week we explored a third option and that was the way of trust. So not the way of the younger brother, not the way of the older, but the way of trust, a life where you trust in the Father, and it's not about his stuff, it's not about the blessings and the things he can give you, but it's about the Father himself. And that life of trust 
where we can trust in that he wants for, what he wants for us is only our deepest happiness, and that's the phrase we used last week, that that life can lead to a life that is truly a life of fulfillment, satisfaction, contentment. It's not about the stuff, it's about the Father. And we ended with this very, very simple, but very, very important question that each and every one of us needs to ask, whether you're a believer or whether you're not a believer, whether you grew up in church your whole life or this is your first time here, we actually all have to answer this question. The question is, do I need God? Do I need God? And I know that's so basic, And it's easy to just blurt out an answer, but we have to answer this question. You may be in church, and you may have been in in church your entire life, but you don't actually feel like you need God. You could worship every single week with us, but the way you live your life, the way you live your life, does that show that you need God? And here's the thing. For most of the people who live in the United States and this Western modern world, if it's about the stuff the answer is no. If it is, if, if it is about the stuff that God can give you, like the blessings and the things that, that, that you want, the, the positive circumstances, money, a, a certain lifestyle to, to buy the latest thing, if it's about the stuff, your answer to this question is no. Especially for those of us who live here in this world, in this part of the country, in this part of the world, in this time, When it's about the stuff, let's be honest, you probably don't really need him. Like you can earn your living probably on your own. A lot of people do. You could buy all the things that you want. You don't really need God for that, at least in this time, in this place. So for us who are in that situation, we have to dig deeper. And we have to ask ourselves, is what God offers us more than the stuff? Is life with the Father What is that like? Is there more to life with the Father than the stuff? And the answer is absolutely yes. And so today as we close this series, I want to focus on two things. Two things that I believe we need to live a good life. And when I say good life, I have to be clear. It really is about how you define a good life, actually. Because whether your vision of a good life is secular and there's no God in it, you actually still have to have these two things. If you want to live apart from God, but still try to find some kind of happiness and fulfillment, you actually still have to have these two things, answer to these two questions. And if you live life with God, if your vision of a good life has God in it, it is, he is central, you have been given answers to these two very, very important questions. That's what we're going to explore today. And the thing is, we don't. Our decision today is not that God is the only one who has the answer. It's not. You can find the answer to two, these two questions anywhere. You can, you can decide on, an, on your own. The question is, where will you find your answer? Where is the source from which you will derive your answer to two, these two very important questions required to live a life that is, quote unquote, good? So with that, let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I'm excited to share this message I believe you want to do something today. You want to change some minds. You want, to, you want to flip a switch. You want a connection to happen. You want a light bulb to go off today, one that will lead to change in people's lives. And so, God, I, I give this time to you and surrender it completely into your hands. In your name we pray. Amen.
All right, let's start with the younger brother. And let's go back to his plan. So we talked about this last week. What was the younger brother's plan as he came back to the father? What was he gonna do to like make everything good again? Let's look at Luke chapter 15, verses 17 to 19. It says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against, uh, sinned against both heaven and you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Remember, this was his plan. He said he wanted to be a hired worker. And we define how there were three different types of workers in that household. There was the children, the family, there were the servants, and then there were the hired workers, the hired servants. And they were the ones who, like most of us, just have a job and you commute to your job. They didn't live on the premises like the servants. And the main point of that distinction was that the hired servant, the hired worker, was the most relationally distant person on that land. They were the ones who were the furthest removed, the farthest removed from the father. And the son is like, let me just get in on there. Like, I don't have to be in the house. I don't even have to live on a house on the land near the fence. I don't have to live there. I'll live outside of the house. I'll live outside of the land, and I'll just come to work each day. And we talked about how the plan of the son was for him not to live as a hired worker for, for the rest of his life, but to earn enough money to do what? We talked about this last week. To pay back the father. That was his plan. He took all the stuff from the father, but he wanted to work his way back, pay back the father so he could once again enter the home, be a son. That was his plan. The basis for the plan was this assumption. It was the assumption that he had lost his status as son. His assumption was that he had lost his position as son. Because I am not a son, I have to be either a servant or a hired worker. Because I'm not a son, I better work my way back, pay dad back enough so I can be a son again. At the ground level of the younger brother's situation right now, his kind of personal crisis was one of identity. Who am I? What am I now? Like, I've given up my, my family, I've disconnected, I've rejected my father, and I've lived on my own, I've been doing this thing, who really am I now? I'm, I don't really know. I, I don't really know who I am. All I know is what I'm not. That's what he's saying. What I know is I am not a son anymore. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a loser, I'm a failure, I'm whatever, I just know that I'm not a son. So the question we have to ask is, what is informing his answer? What is informing his plan or this assumption that he's no longer a son? What are the things, what's the evidence he's using to answer that question? What is leading him to the answer, I am not a son anymore? And if you look, there's really three things. It's number one, it's his past. The second is his position. And the third is his possessions. These are the three things that as he looks at his past, his position, and his possessions, or lack of, his determination is, I'm not a son anymore. Because look, I got nothing. I'm not in the house. I, I don't have that title. I've rejected that. And I have a past. And in my past, I rejected the father. In the past, I shamed my father. In the past, I disobeyed my father. Based on these three things, I'm not a son, and to use his language, I am no longer worthy to be called a son. Let's look at the older brother and his conversation with the father and see if, see if you can figure out how the older brother sees himself. 
okay? And this is like, this is difficult here. Let's look at Luke chapter 15, verse 29. This is when he's talking to the father about why he's so angry. And he says, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for the feast with my friends. All these years I've what? Slaved for you. How does the older brother see himself? If the older brother, if you were to ask the older brother, who are you? He would say, I feel like I'm a slave. It's all I do, man. I just do what the father asked me to do. I, I can't do what I want to do. I don't have anything of myself. It's all his. I'm a slave, man. And some of you guys may feel like this in your life. Sometimes when you're a parent, you feel like a slave to your children, don't you? Oh, I have no will of my own. I can't do anything I want to do. I just do what they wanted me to do. I can't even listen to the songs that I want to listen to. Sometimes you feel like a slave. Maybe at work you feel like a slave. Maybe your bosses are, are, are breathing down your neck and you always feel like you just do. You just feel like a slave. Maybe even in your relationship with God, you feel like the slave. That you feel like you're under the burden of a, a master who is trying to control you and keep you from doing the things that you love. Maybe you feel like a slave even with God. Again, he's looking at his past, his positions, and his possessions. And he says, you know what? Looking at those three things, I'm just a slave. I'm just a slave. But here's the dumb thing about that, okay? Here's the, the most ridiculous thing about that. I don't know if you guys remember, at the beginning of this story, the younger brother asked for the inheritance, right? And the father says, yes, I'll give it to you. But let's look at verses 11 and 12, and I want you to notice something. It says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them a story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his son's wealth between, no, divide his wealth between his sons, so I don't know if you guys realize this, but when, when the father sold all his stuff and sold all his land and he had that money, he gave it not just to the younger son, but he gave the rest of it to his older son too. Like the older son got his inheritance early also because of the younger son. It's not like he only gave it to the son and kept it for himself. He divided it between both of his sons. He had everything, but he felt like he had nothing. Sometimes we feel like that. Sometimes we feel like we have nothing and we're constantly struggling and we're like, why is my life like this? I'm just eking my way through life and it's so hard, I got nothing. And then you walk into your closet full of clothes. Ugh, I got nothing. And you walk into your garage, which is a house for your car, and you're like, ugh, I have nothing. Why is that? See, this story points to something very important. It is possible that the reason you have so much, feel like you have so little, is because of the question of identity, not possessions. It's not about how much you have, it's about how you see yourself. And we understand then that the, the, in order to feel content in life, it's not about getting enough stuff, it's about having the right understanding of who you are. The older brother didn't get that. He had everything but felt like he had nothing and felt like he was a slave. So what we see in this story is that it's really about identity. It's about the question of who you are and that we can gain our answer of who we are from so many different sources. You can look at your past. You can look at your position. You can look at your possessions. You can look at your popularity or whatever P word you want to add there and you can discover and answer the question. 
But here's what I realized. This question of identity, oftentimes we think that question is for young people, right? It's for the junior high kids, it's for the high school kids, for the college kids, maybe the young adults. But I'm like, I'm old. I know who I am. I'm not going to change. This is who I am. You're like unapologetically like, this is me. Like, that's cool. All right? And we think this question is for young people. But I'm beginning to realize that we must all answer this question of identity regularly and repeatedly. Right? Think about how life would be different if every season you came to a conviction of this is who I am. You know, after every time of change and transition, you should ask this question. If you move from one place to another place, you should ask this question. I've moved from my home and I'm in this new place. Who am I? Do I still understand who I truly am? Is it changing? Am I struggling? If you've experienced crisis or tragedy or a loss, you should ask this question of yourself. In every season of life, I think it would be helpful if you went back to this question, who am I? Maybe even every single day. Maybe every day you should go to the mirror, brush your teeth, wash your face, if you wash your face, if you don't, no judgment, all right? Look at yourself in the mirror and be convicted and convinced of who you are. Maybe life would be different, I wonder about that. But I think this is a question that we should all ask. During and after bouts of depression, anxiety, you should ask this question, who? Who am I? When you're struggling in any way, you should get back to this deep question, who am I? And you can answer this question from as many sources as you want. You can gain evidence and, and you can let other things and other people and media and television and social media influence this question. You can do that. God has given you the freedom to decide who you are, but the Father wants to take a moment and say, wait, 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 before you make a final decision, let me offer one Answer. Let me offer one option. So let's look at that conversation once again. Luke chapter 15, verse 21 and 22. This is the younger son. His father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robes in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Notice when the father chose to cut him off. He doesn't cut him off at the beginning part. He doesn't cut him off uh, when he first starts talking. He doesn't initiate that conversation. He allows the son to come. But once he starts to doubt his position and his identity, the father says, no, stop. Don't you say you're not my son. That's when the father steps in and chooses to cut him off. And then he, he, as a son, declares his false identity. The father says, bring the robes. And I want you guys to think about this. Whose robes are these? Like, is this the, the younger son's old robes? No, 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 no. The robes he calls his servants to bring are his own robes. It's the robes that he himself wears because the younger son would have taken his robes with him on his journey, right? And then he would have sold it and he would have given it all up. The only robes in that home the father could give are his very own robes. So he wraps his own robes around this young man who believes he's not a son anymore. And he says, wear my robe, son. And then he puts a ring on his finger, a ring symbolizing his identity, symbolizing that he is a part of his family. It's the ring that only family members would wear. 
And so in this, in this quick moment, the father is sending a message. You think you're not my son anymore. You think all you are is a hired servant. You think you're unworthy to call, be called my son. But when I see you, I see none of that. When I see you, I see my child. When I see you, I see my boy. Now, maybe other people might think that you're not my son anymore. Maybe other people think that you're no longer worthy or deserving to be my son anymore. But to me, your father, actually the only person whose opinion really matters, you've never stopped being my son. Remember last week I said the father every day looked to the road to see and search for his son? It's because he never stopped being his son. In your selfishness, you were my son. In your rejection of me, you were my son. In the poverty, you were my son. In the mud, in the pigs, in the shame, you were my son. And right now in this confusion, in this awkwardness, in this weird moment that we're having right now, you're my son. And I love you unconditionally. To use the language that Andy shared with us today, you're not a broken glass. Yeah, maybe you once were and you were shattered because of something. Maybe something you did yourself. Maybe something someone did to you. Maybe circumstances. But that's not who you are anymore. You're not a broken glass. You're not even a glass with cracks. You're brand new. You're a brand new vessel that I can pour out my love into. That's so, so beautiful, man. That's so lovely. I, I love hearing that. And then he goes to the older brother, right? At the end of this story, he goes to the older brother who lashes out and, and says these angry things to his, to his father who whines and cries about the goat. Like, for me, man, if this was my son, I'd be like, dude, you have everything. I gave you everything. But listen to what the father says in verse 31. His father said to him, look, what does he call him? Dear son. You have always stayed by my side, by, stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. Once again, an affirmation of his position and status as his child. As, as ridiculous as he's being, as arrogant as he's being, in this arrogance and judgment, in your unfair accusations against me, in your lack of trust for me, in your blindness to all that you have and all that I have provided for you, you are my dear son. You see, what I want you guys to understand is you can find the answer to the question, who are you from all kinds of places, but I believe that your heavenly father has the best answer to the question of identity. That as you search to understand who you are, you can look at the things that you like and you can ask your friends and can you ask your parents and you can, you can, you can determine it based on your scores in, in school and your performance, but your heavenly father, he's got the best answer to that question. Because what the Father gives you that is better than anything else anyone else can give you is, a, is an answer to the question of who you are. And it is not one that you have to create. It is simply one that you have to receive. He has it all ready for you, and it is one that will never change. And that's what the most beautiful thing about God's answer to you, to your question of identity. Who am I? His answer will never, ever change. No matter what season of life you're going through, no matter what struggles and challenges you're facing, he knows who you are and that will never change. You are his beloved child. No matter what you did, no matter what you become, no matter what mis mistakes you made, that will never change. You will always be his beloved child, his dear son, his dear daughter in his eyes. 
So take whatever the world has to offer in terms of who you are and compare it to that. Which one do you want? Like, which one do we want? I mean, I think, man, that's an easy answer. That's an easy decision for me. Now, when we come to this question of who we are, we hear this phrase, yeah, you're my beloved son, you're my dear son, but what does that really, really mean? I just want to share two words with you. The Apostle Paul, I think, has the most writing on identity in in the New Testament. And he uses this one phrase, and this is the phrase for identity, okay? So if you you want to know what this really means, he shares this phrase over and over and over again, and it's just two words. And those two key words for identity are these words, in Christ, in Christ. Your identity is in Christ. Christ. And what that means is what is true about Christ is now true for you. So just chew on that for a moment. What is true about Jesus is now true about you. Obviously, I mean this from a relational perspective. What is true about Christ, when it comes to the father and his relationship with his child, what is true about Jesus is now true about you. I want you to chew on that. I'm not going to take time to expand on that. But I want you to realize that when God sees you, he sees Jesus. Like, that's crazy. And you might think, I'm not those things, though. I'm not like Jesus. I am the furthest thing from Jesus. But with God, that's not how it works. In Christ, in that decision, in that relationship to believe and accept him as our personal Savior and our Lord, you are not what you did. You are not your past and your possessions. You're his child that he would do anything for. That is who you are apart from your past. That is who you are apart from your position and your possessions. It's one of the hardest things for you to disassociate who you are with your past. But in Christ, Jesus has done that. You are not your past. You are something completely different. And even though the sons rejected it and replaced it, none of them, neither of them ever lost it. They were always his sons. So I think that's one of the first things that we've got to understand, that in order to live a good life, whatever that may be, whether secular or religious, you have to be able to answer the question, who am I? You have to have a confident answer to who you are. So if you don't know, or you struggle, or you're in a season of life where you thought you knew, but you're, not, you're realizing that you're changing, you got to go back to this question and choose whose answer will you receive? Your father's? Or the world's? or your parents, or or whoever. Now, the second thing that the Father offers to us that is important and vital for what we see as a good life is this. I mentioned before that this story is a part of a trilogy. It's not just a standalone story. It's a trilogy. There's the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. I call it the lost trilogy. And they're very similar in that in every single story, there is something that is lost, and then there is... Uh, that thing is found, and then everyone celebrates and has a party, which is really cool, right? Jesus likes that. But there is a one very important detail that is different between the first two stories and the last story. I'm not going to read the whole stories, uh, but I'll quickly kind of um, describe them. The first one is the lost sheep. A A sheep is lost, so the shepherd leaves the 99, and he goes and finds the one, and then they celebrate. The next one, the lost coin, a woman loses a coin, And she searched all over her house, and then she finds the coin, and they celebrate. What is different in those two stories? What do you see in those two stories that you don't see in the last story? 
Think about it for a sec. What do you see? In both of the two stories, you see a shepherd looking for the lost sheep. And then you see a woman looking for a lost coin. But in the third story, no one is looking for the younger brother. Weird. You would think after reading the first two stories or hearing the first two stories that there would be a searcher or a finder, just like the first two stories, but in the third, there is not. And so the question comes to mind or should come to mind as you read the story, how come no one's going after the brother? How come no one went for him? Who's supposed to go out and look for the younger brother? Who's supposed to go and bring him back? Is it the father? I don't know. Where's the mom? I don't know where there's, there's no mom in this story. That's weird. Is it the brother? Is it a servant? Who's supposed, are they supposed to hire a private investigator? Like what is it supposed to do? How come no one went? There's a verse in Genesis that answers this question. Who is supposed to go find the brother? In the story of Cain and Abel, if you're not familiar, it's the story of the first two brothers on this planet. Cain kills Abel, and then God asks him a question. Genesis 4.9 says this. Where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? Am I my brother's keeper? And the answer that is not shared in, that, in these verses, but the, the answer that is implied is, yes, you are, Cain. You are your younger brother's keeper. You are your younger brother's guardian. So who was supposed to go after the younger brother? It was the older brother. He was supposed to go, but he didn't go. He was supposed to go and rescue him. He was supposed to go and bring him back kicking and screaming. He was supposed to go and protect him. That was his younger brother, but he doesn't go. A true older brother would go. A true older brother would have gone and searched high and low to find his lost younger brother, but he doesn't. And we don't really know why, but, the scholar, but scholars have a, have a guess. They believe that, the scholars believe that the reason he didn't go is because it would have been too costly. Remember when we shared the beginning of the story? The father separated the inheritance between the younger brother and the older brother. So everything is now the older brothers. And if he went on a trip to find his brother, guess who has to pay for it? It's not the father. It's the older brother. He now has to pay for it out of his own pocket. And that party that they're having and the fattened calf that they're killing and celebrating, guess who's paying for that now? It's not the father. It's the older brother. It's all his now. It's all his money. And so all the things that, all the travel expenses, all the things, maybe he has to bribe people to find out where his younger brother, he has to go to some seedy places like, hey, have you seen this kid before? And like, no, nah, I haven't seen the kid. And we're like, Ch -ch -ch. now have you seen this kid? And it's like, oh yeah, he was here a couple days ago, right? He has to pay for that. And scholars believe that the older brother was not willing to pay the price to find his younger brother. And so he didn't go. And the question that is, is, is floating in the air, remember he's talking to a bunch of younger brothers, right, the, the tax collectors and sinners. The, the question floating in the air is, do I have a true older brother? And maybe that's the question that you have asked at one point in your life. Do I have a true older brother in my life? Do I have a brother that is willing to pay the cost for me. And I'm here to declare, so excited to share this with you. Absolutely, 
each of every single one of you, you have a true older brother, and his name is Jesus. And you don't have a brother who is willing to just travel to another country. You have an older brother who would travel from heaven and earth across time and space. We have an older brother who is willing to pay anything and everything to sacrifice whatever it took to pay the ultimate cost, give up his own life to rescue and find you, his lost younger brother, his lost younger sister. His name is Jesus and he went to the cross to show you I'm your brother. And I will find you no matter where you go. And I will never give up on looking for you. But remember the context. Jesus is talking to the tax collectors and sinners, but he's also talking to the teachers of the law and the Pharisees and the, and, and the rulers, the religious people and the lost people. And he's talking to both groups. And what he's saying with this story to the older brothers in the room, to the religious leaders and the Pharisees, look, you see these tax collectors and sinners? You see these younger brothers all sitting there right now in front of you, right before your very eyes? You have an opportunity, you religious leaders, to be a true older brother to these guys. Will you do it? Or are you gonna be like the older brother in the story that I'm sharing with right now with you? Do you, you have an opportunity to go out and look for these younger brothers of yours right here who are lost and confused, hurting and in need, alone and isolated. And you can be like your true older brother or you can be like the older brother in this story. I want you to think for a moment. You know, we, we said at the very beginning of this series that what it was is about the stuff and not the father. Remember that? For the older brother and the younger brother, it wasn't about the father. It wasn't about a relationship with the father. It was about the stuff the father could give them. And that was the problem. What if for the older brother, it wasn't about the stuff? What if for the older brother, it was about the father? Do you think he would have hesitated at all to go look for his brother? If, if for, the, for the older brother, it was about the relationship, if he had a healthy, loving, close relationship with the father, do you think he would be sitting back and just working the fields while his brother, his beloved brother, his, the, the, the beloved son of his father whom he loves, do you think he would just let him go? Do you think that when that son came back, the younger son, younger brother came back, do you think he would be pouting and angry? See, because he, he had a broken relationship with the father, because he did not love the father, he was not worried about the son. And so to, to us, Jesus is saying, if you love me, if it's truly not about the stuff, you need to go and find the younger brothers and bring them home. If you really loved me, why are you just sitting there? Why are you just working? Why are you just doing the things that you think you need to do to control me? And, and why are you are just focusing on good behavior when you have younger brothers who are lost and hurting everywhere around you? I want you to follow me, Jesus is saying, in seeking and saving the younger brothers in your world. I want you to follow me in looking for those hurting and in need around you in your own families, in your church community, in this city. I want you to go out just like I did and reach out and bring these people home to me. There are people who don't know that they are unconditionally loved. Go share that with them. 
So the two biggest questions that we need to live a good life, whatever that good life looks like for you, whether religious or secular, whether spiritual or, or, or not, is these two questions. Who are you and why are you here? Everybody has to answer this question. Doesn't have to be, I don't know what your answer is, but you all at some point have to answer this question. And again, repeatedly, I think you have to answer this question. Who are you and why are you here? It's a question of identity and a question of purpose. These are the two things that your father can give you that is better than anything anyone else can offer you. Jesus, your heavenly father, can answer the question of who you are and why you are here. He can give you an answer to that question. He is offering an answer to that question, the question of identity, which is this, what he offers to you, it is an unchanging sense of who we are, how valuable we are, and where we belong. This is what your father offers you. I know who you are, and I know how valuable you are, and I know where you belong. You belong with me, and in the community of faith, with your brothers and your sisters. I'm giving this answer to you. The second thing, beyond the stuff, is purpose, and this is what purpose is, a reason to exist beyond ourselves. Every person, I believe, needs to have a reason to exist beyond your own survival. And this is what the Father offers to you, to be older brothers, true older brothers and older sisters like Jesus. Identity and purpose. Identity and purpose. I hope you've answered this question. I hope you have a convicting answer to this question that you believe in, that guides your life. I really, really do. And I hope it's the one that your Heavenly Father has offered to you in Scripture and in your own experiences. But if you haven't, would you consider Jesus' answer to those questions? Would you consider among all the options and would you think about how beautiful and amazing and wonderful the answer to those questions you have an identity and a purpose in Christ. Who are you? Why are you here? That is what the story of the prodigal son is really about. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, God, that you have not left us to answer these questions on our own. Because I know in my life, and as I shared last night at First Friday, I had a really bad answer, and it messed me up for a while. I didn't know who I was, and so I, I looked to so many different things to, to bring definition to my life. And I chose the wrong thing. And because of that, I was afraid, I was fearful, I was anxious, and I struggled with low self-esteem, low self-confidence for so long. But God, you've not left us to figure this out on our own. You've, you've given us the answer and you nailed yourself on a cross to show us that answer of who we are. And so God, I pray that we would receive it or begin to discover it, Lord. The prayer and, and scripture and, and discussions and conversation. And Father, for me, you know how much, how grateful I am for the purpose that you've given me in my life. You know how much I need that. And you know how, how much I struggle when I don't sense that I have that. So thank you. And I just want to give you glory and praise because you've given me purpose in life. And I know that you have a purpose and a plan for everyone else listening and watching right now in this moment. Lord, help us to discover our purpose, our reason for existing beyond ourselves. Show us the way. Show us the truth so that we may live a good life with our Father. In your name we pray.